question for you all. When, um, when life feels overwhelming, to whom uh, or to what uh, do you turn for help? When life is overwhelming, to whom or what uh, do you turn for help? On April 21st, 2018, uh, Reddit user Eugene Belcherfan1 uh, was at a friend's house. Maybe his stomach got upset. He had to go to the bathroom. So he flushes the toilet, and uh, he then watches in horror as the water that's supposed to go down the drain starts rising up out of the toilet. It rises higher and higher and higher. And not knowing what to do, Eugene Belcher fan logs onto Reddit and he types out this SOS. My toilet is full of poop and about to overflow. The water's at the brim. There's poop inside of the water. What should I do? I'm freaking out right now. It's a comical example, I think, of a serious truth. Life is and can often feel overwhelming. When we are hit uh, by a wave of suffering, when it happens, when our literal or our proverbial toilets overflow, to whom or to what do you turn? Tonight, Luke introduces us to two people who, in their desperation, turn to Jesus. Now, last week we saw Jesus go to a very dark place to liberate and to heal uh, a demon-possessed man named Legion, a story that is told in Luke 8, verses 26 to 39. And tonight, we're going to pick up at Luke chapter 8, verse 40, the very next verse. Look at a story told in verses 40 to 48. Um, before we read it, um, and because it's God's word and not my own, I'm going to pray and ask that he would help us to understand it, what he has to say tonight. So, Father, thanks for bringing us together. Thank you for pizza. Thank you for cider donuts. Thank you for these friends. Um, thank you for bringing us together to hear your word, uh, for not being a God who stands off in a distance and who is silent, but who has come near, that you've drawn near to us and you speak because you want a relationship with us. So I pray, God, by your spirit, you would open our eyes to see you and our ears to hear you and our hearts to receive you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to project this up here on the screen, but you can also follow along uh, in a Bible app. We also have some Bibles over there on the table. Those are free, our gift to you. So if you don't have one, please take one of those home with you. But this is Luke 8, starting at verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Now, our story tonight begins by the Sea of Galilee, uh, the opposite side of the land of the Gerasenes, where Jesus was last week. A large crowd is there. They've gathered around Jesus. They've been waiting for him. They're eagerly expecting him. They kind of want to catch a glimpse of who Jesus is. They've heard the rumors. They've heard the reports. They want to see for themselves. They want to hear for themselves if the reports are true. Well, as this crowd is gathered around Jesus, there's some commotion. Uh, A man cries out, hey, watch where you're going. As another man sort of pushes and shoves his way through the crowd, jostling to get near to Jesus. That man is Jairus. From verse 41, we learn that Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. And this detail tells us a lot. For starters, it tells us that Jairus was a religious man. He was well-educated. He was well-to-do. He's a ruler of the synagogue, after all. 
He has power, position, prestige. He's in the upper strata of society, sort of in the inner ring. He's a consummate gentleman. And gentlemen walk, they never run. But not Jairus, at least not today. Jairus is running. And he's not just running, he's pushing and he's shoving. He's jostling up to Jesus. And in a sweat, he falls at Jesus' feet and he implores of Jesus, he begs of him, come to my house, please. But why? Well, here comes the second detail. Jairus is not just a ruler of the synagogue. Jairus is also a dad. He's a dad. And his only daughter, his little girl, is dying. Jairus, so powerful, now feels powerless. Jairus, who's used to answering people's questions, is now filled with them. Like, what do you mean the medicine's not working? And baby, what's wrong? In the movie Garden State, um, Zach Braff's character and Natalie Portman's character are sort of overwhelmed by the weight of the world. Zach Braff's character, his mom has died. He's on lithium. He's on mood stabilizers and antidepressants, and he has been since the age of 10. He meets Sam, Natalie Portman's character, in a psychiatric hospital. Midway through the movie, sort of just overwhelmed by the weight of the overwhelmed by the weight of it all. They stand on the edge of a cliff and they scream into an abyss. That's not Jairus. He's not screaming into an, a dark abyss on this day. He's screaming to an audience. He's definitely crying out, but not into an abyss, to an audience. That audience being Jesus. Because Jesus is not far off. He's present. And he hears what Jairus has to say, and he's moved to action. He gets in an ambulance, as it were. He switches on the siren. Jairus rides shotgun, and they put his house on the GPS, and they start to drive to his home. But there's a traffic jam. And then there's an accident, or at least an interruption. Follow along. As Jesus went to Jairus' house, the people pressed around him, right? There's this traffic jam. Then there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. In verse 43, another desperate person encounters Jesus. This woman is unlike Jairus in just about every single way. For starters, he's a man and she's a woman. But it goes deeper than that. Jairus is powerful and important. But this woman is none of these. He's a ruler of the synagogue. He's somebody. But she's not even named. She is less than a second-class citizen. She's a nobody. Not named nobody. An outcast and a reject. You say, wow, that's harsh. Why are you saying that? Well, look. Verse 43, she had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now, I don't expect you to know this, but everyone in Jesus' time and age would have picked up on this detail. This reference is probably to a uterine hemorrhage. She probably has some sort of postpartum hemorrhage. And on the basis of that condition, her perpetual bleeding, this woman would have been deemed unclean. 
There are all kinds of clean and unclean laws in the Bible. You can find some of them listed in the Old Testament. But because of this condition, this woman would have been excluded from public life, lest she come into contact with some other man, woman, or child and make them unclean too. She was not invited to parties. She was not invited to the synagogue. And she was not allowed to dine at your favorite restaurant or shop at your favorite boutique. And even if she wanted to, she wouldn't have been able to afford it. Because look at verse 43 again. Here's this woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Not only has she suffered this ailment for 12 years, she's penniless as a result. She spent every dollar, every cent, trying to get better, but for what? Not only is she not better, she's poor for having tried. Megan and I, we recently watched the movie uh, Wonder, starring Julia Roberts and Owen Wilson. Maddie's nodding her head. Have anyone else seen it? It's excellent. I love it. It's about a boy named Augie Pullman. Augie is born with facial deformities that require extensive plastic surgery. If I remember rightly, about 27 surgeries. Because of these facial deformities, Augie likes to go around town and live in his house with an astronaut helmet on. It's like a Christmas present he got, and he just loves to wear it. He doesn't like the way people look at him when they see his face. And he's afraid of being bullied. So Augie hides behind this astronaut helmet. Well, in the movie, Augie is enrolled at Beecher Prep, where he's going to start uh, the fifth grade. He's been homeschooled his whole life, but he's going to to private school now. Uh, It feels like a big public school for the first time. And it's fifth grade, which is just brutal. Well, of course, Augie can't wear the helmet in school, which means he's got to take it off. And of course, as soon as he takes it off, the bullying begins. I'm sure this woman could tell a similar tale. Augie's pain began here on his face, but that pain quickly migrated to here, and it touched his heart as he suffered just uh, the pain of bullying and also just broken relationships. And the same is true of this woman. She didn't just suffer from a uterine hemorrhage. Her pain wasn't just localized at the lower part of her body. It migrated up. It touched her heart. She suffered from a broken heart too. And she suffered from myriad broken relationships as well. She's desperate for help. These are the two people that we are introduced to in Luke 8, verses 40 and following. Jairus is a public man, and she is a private woman. And those details play themselves out in interesting ways. Think about it. Your background, your education, your life experiences, they affect you. They affect when and how you might approach Jesus. It's true here, too. Jairus is a public, powerful man. This woman's been marginalized and outcast. So he pushes through a crowd. She sneaks up behind him. All eyes are on Jairus, which is what he's used to, as he falls at Jesus' feet. But she doesn't want to be seen. He pleads loudly and earnestly, come to my house. 
She reaches out in quiet desperation. But here's the deal. In spite of their differences, and there are many, both Jairus and this woman have come to the end of their ropes, and both of them see Jesus as their only hope. They've got that in common. The reason I've driven so slowly through this section is because I want you to see yourself in it. I've deliberately slowed this down because I want you to feel and I want you to see yourself in this story. I want you to see yourself in someone like Jairus. I want you to see yourself in someone like this woman. The truth is some of you will walk through these doors on a Wednesday night. You'll come early for pizza and you will talk to lots of people and everybody's going to laugh at your jokes. But there's some of you who will walk through these doors on a Wednesday night and you'll come in five minutes late, five minutes late, and you'll sit in the back and you won't want to talk to anybody and you'll sneak out before the last hymn is sung because you're shy uh, because of maybe some secret pain that you carry. No matter who you are, whether you come in through these doors or you come in through the back doors, you come into this space, like I come into the space, a beautiful but broken person. There's a lot of good and beauty in your life that we can readily yes and amen. But there's also a lot of hurt you carry into a space like this. <coughs> Wounds that need healing. A cure you are desperate for. This is true of you. It is true of me. It's the true of Jairus. It's true of this woman as well. One of the themes of this passage that we're looking at tonight is that no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what door you walk through tonight, Jesus is available to you. Jesus is available to you. You do not have to scream into an abyss. You can cry out to Jesus. He stands ready to save you, full of mercy, joined with power. And that is gospel. That is good news. The story the gospel tells is of a God who became a man and the person of Jesus so he could communicate to you loud and clear that he hears your cries, that he is moved by your suffering. Quite literally, it moves him from heaven to earth and that when you are desperate, he can be found. You do not need to shout into an abyss. You can talk to him. His name is Jesus, and he may be your last resort, but he's also a very good place to start. You don't have to wait to go to him. That's one of the major themes of this passage. Let's pick up where we left off. Jairus comes to Jesus, right? His daughter is dying. Jesus hops in the ambulance. There's a traffic jam. A woman approaches Jesus. She touches the hem of his garment. She sort of touches the side of the ambulance. And then Jesus says, stop, pull over. Somebody touched me. I felt power escape me. We need to stop right now. Now you can imagine Jairus sort of, he's still riding shotgun. He's like, no, 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 we don't. We got to keep going. But Jesus says, no, somebody touched me. I felt power escape me. Peter and all his disciples are like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Who touched you? Everybody's touching you. We're in a traffic jam. Jesus is insistent. Somebody touched me. 
power escaped me. I need to find who it was. Look at these verses. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. On Sunday, this past Sunday, I was driving from Concord, New Hampshire uh, to Burlington, Vermont. And on the way, I stopped uh, for coffee at Starbucks in West Lebanon, which is right across the river from White, White River Junction. Well, in the Starbucks, right next to the cash register was a Jenga tower, a small little Jenga tower. I ordered uh, my coffee at the counter. I waited for my coffee to be poured, and I touched the Jenga tower, and it fell over. (laughs) It's pretty embarrassing. (laughs) Thank you for laughing. (laughs) Yeah, that hurts. Well, this woman reaches out to touch Jesus, as he's on his way to heal a little girl who's on the verge of death. And when she touches him, the Jenga tower falls over. At least the ambulance comes to a screeching halt. And the guy comes out, the guy, Jesus, right? He comes out and he says, he says, who touched me? I felt power escape me. Now I imagine this woman's first thought is like, oh my God, no. I just broke Jesus, <laughs> right? I've contaminated him. <laughs> She's unclean. And whoever she touches, right? So the thought goes, is made unclean too. My brokenness has just broken Jesus. I touched him as he's on his way to sort of heal this girl. My brokenness has broken Jesus. That's probably the first thought. Well, in fact, the opposite is true. Right? When we come into contact with Jesus, we don't spoil him. He saves us. We don't make him unclean. He makes us well. If fear, though, of breaking Jesus is the first thought, the first fear, fear of being found out, of being discovered, is the second. And we see that here. Verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, crap, I'm not hidden. Right? She came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him in the first place and how she had been immediately healed. When the woman saw right, that she was not hidden, she didn't want to be seen. She didn't want to be a bother. And sometimes we approach Jesus that way, don't we? We come to Jesus in our desperation. We are needy, but we hate that we are needy. We ask for help from Jesus, but sort of with our heads lowered and our eyes averted. The relationship can feel so transactional, we think. Sort of like rolling up into a gas station, filling up our car, and then going on our way. Thanks, God. I'll see you again in 500 miles or so. But that's not the kind of relationship Jesus wants with you. 
When power escapes Jesus, he wants to find the person who was healed. And he wants to find her, not to shame her, and not to punish her, but to look her in the eyes and saying, hey, I felt you, and I see you, and I love you. That's why he wants to find her. He knows that. He wants her to know that. I feel you. I see you. I love you. You don't have to tiptoe around me. You can roll right up to the station, and I can fill you up, but I don't just want to heal you and then send you on your way. I want to go on a road trip with you. Don't just come in the gas station and fill up and go on your way. Let me ride in the car with you. Let's ride together. That's the kind of relationship Jesus wants with you. Not a come and go relationship, but a come and go with relationship. As soon as Jesus finds this woman, the first word out of his mouth is daughter. You see it right there. He's all about the relationship. And I'd say he's all about having a very loving and intimate kind of relationship. Now, no doubt, for 12 or more years, this woman had been called many ugly names. She'd been called dirty and gross and unclean and unwell and fill in the blank. But Jesus looks at her and the first word out of his mouth is daughter. He says it loud enough for everybody to hear. This woman is my daughter. She's family to me. I love her. And if you love me, you're going to love her too. It's all contained in that one word. He says this loud enough for everybody to hear, loud enough for this woman to hear. You are not defined by what society says is true of you. You are not what they call you. You're not even what you call yourself. You are who I say you are, and you are beloved. You are my daughter. You are my son. You are my child, and I love you. With you, I am well pleased. He says, daughter, your faith has saved you. She was unclean. He says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you whole again. Now, what kind of faith did she bring to the table? I'd say it's pretty shy. I'd say it was pretty humble. I'd say it was pretty small. She's tiptoeing around Jesus. I mean, she's barely reaching out for him. She's thinking, if I can just touch the teeniest, tiniest part of his garment, that would be enough for me. That's what her faith was like. It was measured. It was restrained. She barely reaches out to Jesus. And his love and his power and his goodness and his grace comes rushing into her life. Have you ever gone to um, like uh, a soda fountain? Maybe you want some Dr. Pepper, but you don't want a lot of Dr. Pepper. So you take your empty cup and you, <laughs> you push it to that little lever thing. And you just kind of give it like a little tap. You do that and Dr. Pepper comes spraying into your cup and all over your hands. It's happened to Hannah, apparently. 
<laughs> it's like that. She goes up and she's like, I just want a little bit. I just want a little. But she gets a lot. She gets a lot. We come to Jesus measured and restrained, and we expect God to be measured and restrained too. But, his, but he is not. His love overflows to those who are feeling overwhelmed. Right? It overflows to those who are feeling overwhelmed. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This is the last thing I'd like to focus on tonight. We come to Jesus in our desperation with some very specific problems. For Jairus, it was his daughter. For this woman, it was her bleeding. For you, it may be your exam next Tuesday or the conflict you're having with your roommates or a breakup that you've just suffered or an addiction that you're trying to kick. Jesus can meet you in those struggles. He has the wisdom and the power and the healing for that. But that's not all that he is good for. He doesn't want you to just come to him and then go back to your old way of living. For example, he doesn't want this woman to come to him, to be healed of her bleeding, only to return to her ramshackle house on the margins of society, alone and estranged, isolated, anonymous. That's not good enough for her, and that's not what Jesus intends. It's not good enough to just heal her of her bleeding. He wants to heal her broken heart. He wants to heal her broken relationships. And so he restores her publicly. He calls her daughter, like I said, loud enough for everybody to hear so that she knows that she's okay with Jesus and that also she's all right with the people around her. Go in peace, not go it alone. Not go back to your old way all by yourself. Go in peace. Go forward. Go with, right, Jesus and with others. The suffering of the world is going to find you, friends. If it hasn't already, it will. I'm sure it has, right? But Jesus has come to find you too. When we reach out to Jesus... We find someone reaching out to us as well, who's full of mercy, joined with power. He doesn't want to just come and go relationship with you, but a come and go with. He wants to go with you, to fill you up and to go those 500 extra miles with you. He wants you to go in peace, not to go it alone, but to go with him and to go with others. This is where we're going to stop tonight. And if you're thinking, wait a second, what about Jairus? What about his baby girl? Well, Jairus had to wait. He had to wait to see what happens next. We do too. So, I know, it's to be continued. We're going to be here picking up the story where we last left off. So same time, same place next week. You want to hear the dramatic conclusion to the story. Come next week. But let's pray.